people are like you're not white like what are you <laughs> like what else? you're not black so like what where do you fit in you're not either of those so and you're not like hispanic so there's nothing else you can be this is ferguson voices disrupting the frame a moral courage project presented by proof media for social justice and the university of dayton's human rights center i'm amanda d our team set out to understand what happened in the 100 days that followed the shooting of Michael Brown on August 9, 2014. What we discovered by immersing ourselves in the community and through listening to the people who witnessed and shaped the events complicated the binary narrative of Ferguson as black versus white or protester versus police. I'm turning the mic to members of our team to talk about the stories that changed us, inspired, or reminded us of something in ourselves. I first sat down with team member, Lena Sabug, a recent graduate of the University of Dayton who is now considering the avenue of law to pursue justice for others. Someone from Ferguson who fueled Lena's continued trajectory towards social justice was Elizabeth Vega, a community artist, activist, and poet who founded a housing co-op for activists of color and creative space for children in the wake of Michael Brown's death. Elizabeth invited some of us, including Lena, to her co-op. We went there and we went inside and each room was, you know, painted a different color and there was paintings hanging everywhere and protest signs, um, you know, in the dining room. And we go into the dining room and she has a whole spread of pancakes and waffles and fruit, yogurt, all set up for us. And later in the day, she took us down to our basement where she had all the protest banners that she's made as part of the artivists and she kind of took us around and gave us the background on each one and you know what the meaning was behind it and where um, where they hung these banners and I really could see how this is like such a good space for artists and activists just being in the space you feel inspired. Elizabeth is a mother, grandmother, and graduate student. She also identifies as Chicana, a woman of Mexican descent. Despite her heritage, Elizabeth's skin is light enough that she is oftentimes mistaken as white, so she can move through white spaces in ways others with darker skin cannot, and she takes advantage of this fact for a cause greater than herself. One such instance still reverberates in Lena's memory. After the non-indictment, there's a protest in City Hall. Police are starting to padlock. The doors closed. So I put my sign down. I had, like, my hat. I had my mittens, my passing privilege. And I walk up to the gate, and he's, like, trying to bolt it, and I hold on to the gate. And I was like, what's happening? And he's like, the protesters are coming. And I was like, really? And I just, like, pull the gate and then link my arm underneath and then just sit, because I'm a big booty, and just sit. And he was just astounded. Like, he could not believe, like, that had happened. Like I'm, and But he's still trying to be, like real gentle with me and then the younger protesters come and they see him doing this and they're like you leave her alone and I'm like no go to the door the door is open go (laughs) but that's like the passing privilege they don't see me as black they don't see me as a person of color even though I see myself as a person of color so I mean it allows me to like put my body on the front line. In in St. Louis, if you're black and you're front line protesting, they're rough. So that's how I use my passing privilege. Like, I'll put my body on the line. Because I'm Middle Eastern, 
North African, I sometimes feel that in a world, in a country that everything's, you know, you're either this or you're either that and not fitting into either of those categories, I related to her. And uh, through most of my life, I felt that not fitting into, you know, a set box. So I, I took inspiration from it and it showed me that there's a space for me in a way that I can be an ally to people to black people and other minorities because of my own identity. Growing up, going to a predominantly white high school, Lena learned what it felt like to exist between two identities. People are like, you're not white, like what are you? <laughs> like, what else? you're not black, so like what, where do you fit in? You're not either of those, So, and you're not like Hispanic, so there's nothing else you can be. Kind of feeling invisible, I guess. Because being Middle Eastern, it's not something that people think of. Even if, you know, legally in the U.S. we're actually Middle Eastern North Africans are categorized as white, but we don't relate to white. So I just reply, I'm Middle Eastern, I'm North African, that's my identity, and that's what I relate to. Within our team, we couldn't ignore identity either. And Lena was once again in a space where she was alone in her identity. It was very emotional for the other black people in our team because this is you know Mike Brown was a black boy a black young man and this is about the movement was about police brutality against black people so of course it was super difficult especially difficult for them our black team members so trying to find the space of like you know, you don't fit in with the other people who are white in the team because you also can kind of relate to some of these struggles and say, sometimes I know how that feels to feel like you're powerless and you can't help people that are like you and people in your community feel so helpless. So kind of like not knowing where to turn to because the African-American people in our team were going through so much that was so emotional for them and also not being able you know, being able to talk to the other people on your team, but knowing that they can't relate exactly. After her interview with Elizabeth, Lena has come to consider her identity, her space, a source of power. Seeing the space that Elizabeth Vega was able to occupy in the movement and kind of knowing when as an ally and, you know, as a person of color, but not black in, in a movement that's about, that's fighting against racism um, knowing when to step back, take a step back and let other voices be heard, and when to step up and be be that ally that, you know, now it's, now it's a good time for you to speak. So just knowing that and coming back and seeing that, and then also it inspired me to look into my own community and see what activists are in my own community fighting for similar issues. So it helped me find inspiration within my own community and find leaders within my own community that I didn't know were there. And she not only inspired me because of, you know, her being Chicana and relating to it, but also she always had a way in which she could help. She never made excuses. You know, she doesn't have money. You know, she took her student loans and bought art supplies and uh, used it as a down payment for her uh, co-op housing. There's always something you can do with the resources you have. Ferguson Voices Disrupting the Frame is a podcast, multimedia exhibit, and storytelling website. Visit fergusonvoices.com for the integrated experience, which includes photography and additional interview excerpts. 
This episode of Ferguson Voices was written and produced by me, Amanda D., with original music by Lush Life. For more Lush Life, check out idolsandenemies.com. Be sure to subscribe to Ferguson Voices on iTunes, Google Play, and other platforms. If you like what you hear, hit us with a solid rating and share these stories with friends.